Have you ever wondered why so many people pray? Well, Albert Einstein said that there's really only two ways to live, as if nothing's a miracle or as if everything's a miracle. Either life's a fluke and we're just a bunch of highly evolved animals on a big rock lost in space, or there's a creator behind creation, a, a God behind goodness. And if so, then connecting with him in prayer is pretty much the most mind-blowing thing you can do. Archaeologists keep digging stuff up that shows we've always prayed. People of many faiths pray daily. Even atheists admit to praying sometimes. Real prayer is a two-way conversation with the living God who loves and listens to the things we say. Jesus said, ask anything in my name and it'll be done. We have a chance to ask for peace, healing, help or whatever we need. Life matters, you matter, your choices, thoughts, prayers and actions echo in eternity. But in case you hadn't noticed, God is pretty much invisible and not always easy to hear. There are distractions, disappointments and questions that we all share. That's why 24-7 prayer does stuff to help thousands of people in hundreds of places connect with God in new ways. People are learning to pray by just praying. Why don't you take on the challenge of a 24-7 prayer room? Just gather your friends, find a place, pick a week, get creative in the space and fill every hour of the week with a chain of prayer. Prayer vigils like these have been changing lives for 2,000 years. And today, millions are discovering that God's real. Life's a miracle. And the most powerful thing you can ever do is to pray. We're not starting a 24-7 prayer vigil. Um, not a, at least not yet. But there were a few things in that video that I really liked. There's one thing in particular in the video I didn't like much. And when it talks about the atheists pray sometimes and... And uh, you could watch it again, but I'm real sensitive to that kind of thing. And there's this us versus them mentality. It's, he says, even atheists pray sometimes. And uh, I, I feel like he should have said, even some atheists pray sometimes. Because we try to characterize atheists as if uh, they're all theists in disguise, and they're just not. There are actually atheists out there, people. Get used to it. Um, but there's a lot in it that I really did like. And in particular, I liked this, partic this little scene here where it says... Uh, Prayer is a two-way conversation between us and the God of the universe, the creator of the universe. And you see, you see this guy kicked back with his hands behind his head, just talking. And of course, they got to see God in a big flowing robe and a big white. I don't know why Jesus always, or God always looks like Santa Claus when people imagine God, but, but he does. But I love the concept of just kicking back and talking to God and him talking back. And one of our people, we, we, we encourage people to ask questions around here. I, I've kind of gotten lax on putting the, website or the, the address up. If you, if you have questions, send them to questions at daylightchurch.com. But this question came in about three weeks ago, and I just haven't had a good chance to, to deal with it. It says, what is the correct way to pray? I usually just thank him for blessings and ask him to watch over friends and family. I don't always feel like it's a conversation. And I have a confession. I don't know. I really don't know the correct way to pray, and I, I really think even embedded in the question is, a, is, is kind of a misnomer where prayer is concerned. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure there is a correct way to pray. It's like saying, how, how, uh, 
What's the correct way for my son, Siler, to address his father all the time? There is no correct way. Sometimes we laugh. Sometimes, he's, he's gotten in this habit of sneaking up behind me, slapping me, and calling me punk. Now, now if we're going to say, is that the correct way to talk to your father? Well, I don't, you know, no, but yes. I mean, because I chase it, and, and when we have a rule that I get to tickle him for eight uninterrupted seconds every time he calls me punk. So now he's gotten to where he calls me beep, and he's somehow, he, we know that what it means, but he's not actually saying it to me. But do you see we're in relationship, and there's nothing fancy or perfect or right about the way he talks to me or addresses me. And so the, the real answer is what's the, the right way to pray is, I don't know, there's a, there's a thousand right ways to pray. How do you have a normal relationship with anybody? How do you, how do you carry on a conversation with anybody? But I'm going to share something with you today that really helped me in my personal prayer life because prayer is hard for me. It's really, really challenging, and I think it's because I like to think everything through. And prayer doesn't make sense, especially if you believe in a God that's omniscient, that knows everything. Well, then why even bother? Why not just sit there and go, hmm, you know. Oh, you know. I mean, wouldn't that be a pretty effective prayer life for the God of the universe? And yet there's more to it than that because prayer is more about me connecting with him than it is changing him and, and manipulating him and the ways that we always view prayer. It's more about a connection. It's more about kicking back in his lap and getting to know him. And so I'm going to talk about imagining Jesus and just using the imagination to fuel your prayer life. And it has, been, it has done wonders for me personally. And it started, my, my uh, experiences imagining Jesus started at the Orlando Convention Center in Orlando, Florida. And I was down there for a book signing. Some of you know that I've written a couple books. And, and uh, it was at the ICRS, which is the International Christian Retail Show. It's the largest Christian retail show in the world, pretty much, um, which is not to blow me up or make me look good. I had to pay to go there. It wasn't like they invited me and said, hey, have everybody sign your books. That's not how it works. You pay, they give you a slot, and people, the retailers come through and they, they discover your book, basically. So I have a one-hour slot to sign as many books as I possibly can, and there's a, there's a line out the door. I mean, just huge line. So you've got about, I don't know, 20 seconds with each person. I mean, you're saying, hey, what's your name? And you try to spell it right, and hey, good, God bless you, see you later. Hey, thanks, okay. You know, and, and some people try to stop and talk to you, and then there's a person there that's supposed to push them on and make sure they don't hold up the line. And I met this guy. His name was Wally Armstrong. He came through the line, and something sparked between he and I. Just in that brief 20, 30, 40-second little conversation, uh, he and I hit it off. We, we, you know, sometimes you just meet people and you think, I really like that guy. And, and of course, he met me and he thought, I really like that guy, of course. And so Wally, after the signing came and stood there at the booth near me, and we, we talked for probably two hours that evening. And the thing I noticed right away about Wally, a couple things, I noticed his eyes, like he just... He looked at me like a father would look at me. He's in his mid-70s at this point. He was younger when this picture was taken. Uh, in his mid-70s, and he just, it was almost like he was trying to absorb me, or it was like he was reaching out to love me just by the way he looked at me. But he talked about Jesus a lot, Wally Armstrong did. He, and, and the funny thing about Wally is he would, he would talk about Jesus like Jesus was right there with us. And I even caught him a couple times gesturing Right here. He would say, and when Jesus does this, and he would, it, it was like Jesus was standing there, and I, it was it tripping me out a little bit, but it made me hungry somehow. I thought, I thought that's really cool. But he just kept talking about Jesus, and it, it turns out that he, we both have a mutual interest in golf. He, he talked about being at the Masters one time and, and, meet, and, and watching some golfers, which I'll tell about in a second. 
um, just had some mutual interests, and, and he was an author, and I was an author, and so we exchanged emails, and, and we've become good friends ever since. But after I met Wally, he had mentioned his books, so I got online to check out his books and found out that he has about nine what we would call bestsellers. Uh, you'll notice in his grip, this thing has sold, I don't know, a million copies. The foreword was written by Billy Graham, so that was kind of a big deal. And Tom Lehman, who is a world-famous golfer. Um, so he's written all these books, but I, I noticed that he didn't brag about any of that. None of that came out, because at these, at these retail shows, your job is to push yourself. That's, that's what you're there to do, is to make you and your books look good. And you're trying to do it with anybody and everybody you can, because that's how you get out in the market. So even if your motive is ministry, you got to play the game and try to get the retailers to notice your stuff. Well, I noticed none of this came out with Wally. And when he talked about golf and he talked about being at the Masters, what he didn't tell me was that he was playing in the Masters at the time. And that's Wally Armstrong on the cover of Golf Magazine. And I didn't know any of this talking to Wally. All I heard about when I talked to Wally was about Jesus. And he didn't tell me that in his very first Masters tournament, which if you don't know golf, the Masters is the Super Bowl of golf. It is the worldwide national event. It's the biggest event in golf. And this was his leaderboard in his very first Masters tournament in 1978. And you'll notice tied for fifth is Wally Armstrong beating Jack Nicholas, who, who was in seventh place. He was a rookie. He set a scoring record for, as a rookie in the Masters that has never been broken. He played in over 300 PGA events. Uh, he's been featured on all kinds of videos and Golf Channel and Golf Digest, uh, just teaching golf to others. He has, he has a company that teaches kids golf. But my point is this. When I met Wally, I didn't find out about these phenomenal accolades of his. I found out about Jesus. He just talked about Jesus. And he kept, he kept saying the words, my best friend Jesus. He would say those words exactly. He'd say, my best friend Jesus does this, and my best friend Jesus does that. And I'm thinking, who are you? Because if I'm there trying to push my book, I'm going to say, oh, yo, by the way, I placed fifth at the Masters one time. It's some kind of a big deal. But not Wally. He talked about Jesus. And I got home and found out that he has a new book that came out a couple years ago called Practicing the Presence of Jesus. And so, you know, I wanted to know more. He, he made me hungry for whatever it was that he had. I've, I've been a follower of Jesus for years, but that intimate connection the reality of the presence of Jesus has never been a strong point in my life. And he, in that book, he talks about being at a golf tournament, and I believe it was the Masters. And he had just finished up his round and, and was coming off the 18th tee when somebody said, hey, hey, Wally, check this out. And he looked over on the practice screen, and the practice screen was swarmed with people. It was so full that he couldn't see what was going on inside. And he said, what's, you know, what's going on? He said, well, Ben Crenshaw's over there talking to Jesus. Whoever this guy was that was talking to him, he said, he said Ben Crenshaw, who's one of the, uh, a very famous golfer, uh, he said, Ben Crenshaw's over there talking to Jesus. And Wally said, what are you talking about? Because they knew Wally was a Christian, and so they were kind of ribbing him, saying, hey, Jesus is here, Jesus is here at the golf tournament. And so Wally kind of elbows his way through the crowd and gets a good look, and Ben Crenshaw is actually standing there talking to Jim Caviezel, the actor who played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. And, and Jim Caviezel is there, pushing his new movie, Bobby Jones, Stroke of Genius. So he's dressed just like this. This is, this is the outfit he's wearing, and he's there pushing his movie and trying to stir up interest in this movie. And Wally says for the rest of his life, everything changed as far as how he envisioned Jesus. Because Jim Caviezel was standing on the putting green, a place that Wally knows well, leaning on a putter, just, just dialoguing with Ben Crenshaw. And Wally, Wally says this, and he said this to me personally. He says... 
that day Jesus looked like one of us. It was the first time he'd ever been able to just envision Jesus and I would actually have something to talk about. I mean, if I'm passionate about golf and I can lean on my putter on the putting green and practice my stroke, why can't I talk to Jesus about my putting stroke? Why can't I talk to him? I can talk to my parents about those things. I can talk to my friends about those things. Why can't I talk to Jesus about those things? And that day he could. I look at these pictures and Jesus could look like the guy that just sits in the park and plays guitar. Or this second guy, I've done a lot of outreach on, on Beale Street in Memphis. And this is the dude you walk up to and you say, hey, man, where can I get the best ribs around here? He says, oh, I can tell you where some good ribs are. Why can't I turn to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, where are the best ribs on Beale Street? I mean, he knows, right? He knows a lot more than this guy does. He, knows, he can play guitar a lot better than that guy. He's, he's, he's real, but he's bigger. He's like the ultimate friend, the ultimate conversationalist. He said, that day, Jesus looked like one of us. Now, a lot of people view God in certain ways. And here's, here's one way that I think people view God. Some, some of you, it's embedded in you that God is this destructive, dangerous force that wants to come and, you know, I've, I've said it before, he's got a smite key on his keyboard and he's just clicking that sucker every time you're around. He just wants to knock you down. Like lightning is the voice of God. And I think if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you find out that's, that's not what God looks like. But even those that don't go to that extreme still view him like this. It's, oh, he's in the angel clouds above and the harp surrounding, and he's so far off and so distant. And that's not, I mean, there's, there's aspects of all of this in God. But I think if you really want to develop your prayer life and you really want to connect with God, I'm going to show you a picture that I hope you will kind of, that will kind of embed in not necessarily the picture in your mind, but an image in your mind. And I think it'd be, it'd be fair to view Jesus like this. Now, this is a guy that after work, you guys can go bowling together, right? This is a guy that when you get the flu and you call in sick, he, can, he shows up at your door and says, hey, man, how can I help? Let me mow your lawn for you. This is a guy that you can cut up with and go see a movie with, right? And we just don't, we don't have a picture of Jesus being with us every day in all our activities. And yet he is, and we know he is. We have this theological understanding that he's here, but we don't ever let that develop in our lives and connect with that point. Scripture is real clear. I, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. We talk about meals and memories and how, how, how oftentimes our relationship with God is described in Scripture as a meal. And uh, one of the ones we talked about, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. In, in 2 Timothy, Paul says, I'm not ashamed. He says, for I know the one whom I, I have served, the one whom I serve. He's not talking about I worship the one out there or I obey the one. He says, I know him. And then we get into uh, some of the passages I was talking about. Anyone who loves me, my father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. What does that look like when you live with somebody? That's a different, that's a different relationship to make your home with somebody. And uh, just lost my, my thing here. One second. And then finally... Like we talked about a couple weeks ago, you're my friends. You know what? That verse isn't even in there. In Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He says, If anyone will open the door, I will come in and I will eat with them and they with me. And so there's this idea of eating together, which I may just be way ahead of myself. If you guys can fix that for me, I'd appreciate it. There we go. Now, if I'm talking about imagining Jesus, Jesus is here and I'm gesturing my, gesturing my best friend Jesus. How is that any different from a five-year-old that has an imaginary friend that lives in their closet? 
you know, that, a skeptic would be well served to make that argument. Is why, you know, you're kooky. Once, once you start thinking that stuff, man, your wires are crossed. Things aren't functioning properly. And I get that, and I want to make it very clear. I am not necessarily talking about a manifest Jesus that is actually there, actually saying the words to me that I'm imagining him saying. I'm talking about an imaginative experience. I'm talking about this gift of the imagination, the mind that God has given us, that it can be used to touch spiritual things. If you want to talk about why I believe Jesus is here and he's my best friend, there's all kinds of reasons, and starting with the existence of objective morality, the beginning of all time, space, and matter from nothing, which is what Genesis says happened, the explosion of Christianity based on eyewitness accounts and a violent atmosphere, the amazing conformity and propagation of the Bible, and the absence of convincing dissent for theism and philosophy and science. Um, these are some things that we've talked about over, over weeks past and that we will continue to talk about. I think there's good intellectual reasons to believe my best friend Jesus is here. It goes beyond just I, I have this need for a friend. Uh, and, and those are things we can talk about together. But again, I'm talking about an imaginative experience, something to help your prayer life. I have some buddies that... Uh, we get together in Dallas, Texas, and I actually, I go watch a Dallas Cowboys game. I'm ashamed to admit that, but I do. Yeah, he gets tickets, and we go, and then, uh, it's a lot of fun. But years later, when we talk about stuff that happened, and we, we dissect the, the trip, a lot of times what we talk about is the meals we had. Oh, man, remember that pork chop? The pork chop was this thick, those sweet potatoes on the side, man. Mm. Right? We, we talked two weeks ago about meals and memories. And our memories, uh, some of the fondest memories of your entire life will be based around friendship and food. And so, like I mentioned before, um, I, I messed up my presentation somehow, but like I mentioned before, there's this concept of being face-to-face -face and close to God that we've hit on many times. And in his book, Wally mentions this other book by Leslie Weatherhead, which is, I think is a really unfortunate name. Hello, I'm Mr. Weatherhead. It's called The Transforming Friendship, The Reality of the Presence of Jesus Among People Like Ourselves. And I think, I think it's those opening words of that title, The Transforming Friendship, is what we're looking for. And I see this picture, and I, I, I could be wrong about this, but I, I suspect that this is one of the offensive linemen. If you know football, this is an offensive lineman, and this is his running back. They, they could both be defensive players. He could be a defensive lineman. He's a linebacker. But based on their body types and sizes, I'm going to pretend one or the other, okay? This is an offensive lineman. This is a running back. So he's the huge guy that pushes around the other huge guys, right? They're the ones up front that crash into each other and try to knock each other down to create space for him to run through. All right? So that's his job. That's his job. His job is to take the ball and run as fast as he can in the right direction and cross the, cross the line, score points. But he can't do his job unless the offensive lineman does his job of pushing people out of the way. And this is, what, this is kind of a transforming relationship. It means one can't be who he's supposed to be without the other one being who he's supposed to be. And our relationship with Jesus is a little bit like that. You cannot be who you were designed to be without holding hands with Jesus, the creator of the universe who knows your destiny, who knows your purpose in life, who knows what you were designed for. He, he is the one who will have this transforming friendship with you. And, and there is this vice versa thing where Jesus has, for whatever reason, decided to use you as part of the grand design. Like this whole universe of people being touched and lives being changed, he plans on you doing it. He's pushing the big guys out of the way so you can go do your job. And it happens in teamwork. It happens in unity. 
and connecting with him. Wally says in his book, this quote, and, and this, was, this was kind of the moment when he, he saw Jesus and Jesus looked like him, something happened. He said, frankly, I was worn out trying to be a sold-out believer. I was performance-driven, trying to please God, but I always fell short. I felt offensive to him. I kept asking myself, what's wrong with you, Wally? Why can't I do this right? I've felt like this many times in my life of just try, even in my prayer life, trying to pray the right stuff, trying to say the right words, trying to take the right posture, trying to be the right person so that I can twist God's arm and make him conform to my will to do what I want him to be. And there's this game that we play that says, if I'll just shape up, then God will do what I want him to do. Or if I'll just shape up, then I can connect with God in a way that's meaningful. But Wally's conclusion was this. He said, maybe there was a big difference between changing and being transformed. You see, changing is an internal work. I try, I strive, I work to make it happen. But transforming can happen from the outside. Transforming can happen when something comes in and changes you. And all you do is submit. All you do is rest. You lay back with the bearded, you know, the bearded God. You lay back with your hands up and you say, all right, you, you do the job. You do the work. And that's the gospel of Jesus is that he transforms people. That through a relationship and a connecting point with God, through Jesus, that it transforms you. Not that you work to be transformed. It's just like with my buddies. Man, I, I, I talk like them. I, I, when you're around the same people all the time and, and, and you're in a relationship, I felt, I'll, I'll give you an example. My wife, when we first got married, and she sees a, a, an adorable kid, um, like Noah out in the nursery. If you guys haven't seen Noah, we should, if you guys wouldn't mind, Kat and Ernie, we're just going to get a glass and we're going to put Noah on one side and let everybody come and look at him because he's the most beautiful child you'll ever see in your life. I mean, just a gorgeous little kid. Now, if my wife sees Noah, she'll say these words. She'll say, what a doll, right? That's something her family has said for years, what a doll. And you know what? I've found that that has slipped out of my mouth a few times. I'll see a child and I'll go, oh, man, what a doll. <gasps> what, where did that, what is that? Where did that come from? But do you see that when you're, when you're around people and you hear them talk and you see how they act, it changes you. It's like this natural, odd thing that happens in you that, that you take on their characteristics. And how much more if you would walk with Jesus? What would it be like to walk with Him throughout the day and see how He talks to people and see what He does when somebody's upset and see how He spends His time when He's alone? If you could do those things, there's no avoiding it. It would transform you. So if we walk with him, we become transformed. We're going to take what's called the chair experiment, um, spelled out in Wally's book. And in Wally's book, he tells a story of an old Scotsman. And this Scottish guy was uh, on his deathbed and had a large uh, estate and, and called for a priest. And, and for, for weeks, he could hardly move at all. I mean, he just kind of laid in bed with his arms at his side. And when the priest comes in, he notices a chair pulled up next to the Scottish guy's bed. And, and, and so the priest just casually remarks. He says, oh, I see I'm not your first visitor today. And he's just making conversation. And, and the guy, he, he 
can barely talk, so he just whispers, and he says, here, come here, come here, come here. And the priest comes and sits down in the chair, and, and he says, he says you're, my, you're kind of my first visitor today. And he says it in a Scottish accent. I, I could ask Peter to do it, but you don't know the story, so it wouldn't work out. I don't know if you guys have met Peter McClellan. Peter, every time I hear your name, I want to say Peter McClellan of the clan McClellan. I don't know why, <laughs> because surely you are. Um, but the Scottish guy says, says come, come sit, and he... And he tells a story of how when he was young, how, what a hard time he had praying. And he went to his priest and he said, how do you pray? What's the right way to pray? And the man taught him. He said, he said, just pull up a chair. And he said, pretend Jesus is in the chair and tell him what you want to tell him. He said, that's, that's a great way to pray. And so this Scottish guy who was dying on his deathbed at the end of his life says, so every day I pull up a chair. So I had them pull up a chair and I talk to Jesus just like he's here. And so the priest prays with him and, and talks for a while and goes away and hears that the man passes away, so he comes back to visit the family and, and try to give them comfort and meets one of the server girls who, wor who worked at the estate. And the girl tells him, she said, the craziest thing, she said, when I found him, now he hadn't moved for weeks, but when I found him, I found him slumped over that chair next to his bed. Now, I'm going to be honest, this sounds to me like a Reader's Digest condensed piece of fiction. And so I don't know if it's true or false, but the moral of the story is, is the same either way, is when, when, when you start to get this picture that Jesus is there, uh, it, sh it shapes how you act, it shapes what you do, it shapes how you talk, it shapes how you are, it transforms you. Now, how do you know which Jesus? Because there's a boatload of views out there on what Jesus is like. Uh, there's, there's the skeptical, hey man, how you doing? You're cool, Jesus. There's the way too white Jesus that apparently is a Marlins fan. There's super happy Jesus. There's black Jesus with, with uh, braided hair. There's the Monty Python, holy Jesus. There's the NRA Jesus. And then there's crazy weirdo Jesus. I don't actually use a chair very often. I do. I did last week. I pulled up a chair and sat and talked to Jesus and... My place is in the shower. That may be pretty crazy to some of you, but I spend a lot, I spend a lot of time in the shower. And uh, I, 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 you wouldn't believe the time I spend in the shower, but the shower is where I, it's like a hot tub in the sky. That's my thinking on the shower. So I get in the shower and I sit down. That's where I spend my time. I sit in the shower and just let the glorious water fall. And, and I'll do it two times a day for a while. This is where I pray. This is where I think. This is where me and Jesus connect. And, and in the shower, Jesus is there with me, and he sits on the other end of the tub, and I sit on this side, and he's naked, and I'm naked, and nobody cares. And we just, we just sit there and talk. And I have no interest in taking a shower with that Jesus, so we're, we're definitely crossing him off the list. Or I'll drive in my car. And if I'm on a long trip in my car, Jesus is in the passenger seat. And I know there's all kinds of Jesus take the wheel bumper stickers out there. I'm, okay, deal with that later. But I just imagine he's there, and I talk to him like he's there. Now, is he actually there? Is he actually in the shower with me? No. I'm talking about imagination here, just a way to connect and pray and talk. And it, for you, it might be pulling up a chair. For other... I also go for walks. We, I walk the pond. We have a little lake next to our, you know, about five houses down from our house. I was just there five o'clock this morning, walking the pond. Just walk laps around the pond. And I just pretend Jesus is walking with me. 
But how do I know it's the right Jesus? Well, you know, if you're humble about it, you don't have to know. You don't have to know, did God really say that or didn't he? It's not what we're talking about here. We're just talking about an experiment. It's something you can try to see if it helps you pray. But I want to encourage you is to first have hunger. When I met Wally and he's talked about his friend Jesus or he's my best friend Jesus and Jesus this and Jesus that, that stirred something in me and I want that. I, I want to be as close to Jesus as possible. And so it starts there. And if really, if you start there, it's, it's kind of hard to get way off course. If your hunger is really for God, because Jesus said things like this. He said, if you will to do his will, meaning the Father, he says, if you will to do his will, you will know of my teaching, whether it comes from me or whether I speak on God's behalf, whether I speak on the Father's behalf. He says, there's something about wanting. He says, if you want truth, if you want goodness, if you want righteousness, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. It says, if you want it, God gives it. That's what you hear all throughout Scripture. And so it starts with, I really want to know Jesus. I want to know Him. I encourage you to study the Scriptures. We'll get into the Scriptures and what they are many times. There's a, there's a passage where um, a bunch of the religious leaders come to Jesus of His time, and they, the religious leaders of His time come to Jesus, and they say, um, what happens if somebody dies and they left a... a, a, a a married guy dies and his brother is supposed to marry his, his wife because that's what the law says. But if he dies and he's supposed to marry a wife and there's no kids and they die and somebody else marries their wife, and they spell out this big complicated thing to Jesus. And Jesus' response to them is, you are in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God is what Jesus says. So, so Jesus gives this clear picture that by knowing the scriptures, then you can start to have theo theological accuracy. Uh, again, we'll talk about what the scriptures are at a later date. We've already done some stuff on that. You can look it up on our website. But knowing the scriptures will get you the, a, a clearer picture of who Jesus actually is. Target a renewed mind. Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2 talks about the renewing of the mind and how your mind can be changed. And so if you're going in to make Jesus the NRA Jesus and you want him to be you want him to look a certain way and act a certain way, then you're not hungering. You're not studying. You're not looking for a renewed mind. You're looking for a Jesus to match what you want him to be. But if you're going in saying, I want whoever you are. I want reality. I want the truth with you. I really don't think you can go wrong. Pray for wisdom. The Bible says if you ask for wisdom, God will give it generously, and he does so without showing favoritism. If you want the truth, you'll find the truth. Listen for what is good. I heard a story of a guy who robbed a convenience store, and he sat out in front of the convenience store, and he prayed. And he said, God, if you don't want me to rob this convenience store, then I pray a cop will drive by in the next five minutes. And no cop drove by, and he robbed the convenience store. Now, I, am, I have this sneaky suspicion that his image of Jesus was off a little. I think when, when, when you're doing this exercise, and you're, and you're talking to Jesus and hearing from Jesus, if you're hungering, if you're searching the scriptures, if, if, if you desire him, you want wisdom, uh, you're, you're letting him change the way you think, it's going to start to be real clear. Well, maybe that was God and maybe it wasn't. Sometimes you're going to hear things that you think, ah, that's, that's, that's probably not God. You know, if God's telling you to leave your spouse and move to Jamaica and find you a hottie, you're, not, you're talking to the wrong Jesus, right? But do you see, we're, again, we're not talking about getting this whole thing right, or hearing from God perfectly. We're just talking about an exercise of imagination. And finally, respond to what is clear. 
We talked a few weeks ago about sometimes we don't pray because we're afraid of God, what God will say. And I, I'll give you an example from my own life. Kara and I were fighting. You know, we've been married 10 years. I don't know if your experience has been this, but when you put two people in a house every now and then, this happens. And we had been just not getting along very well and not liking each other very much for a couple days. And so we, we uh, you know, it was the kind, of, the kind of thing where I wasn't sleeping on the couch totally, but I'd get up in the middle of the night and go to the couch, that kind of thing, for a couple days. And, you know, our only conversation was, how'd you sleep? Ah, pretty good. How about you? All right. You know. And so she was at work, and I was in the shower, and I'm talking to Jesus, and I said, Jesus, what do I do about this? This, you know, this is this has gone on for two or three days now, and I don't like it much, but you know, she's being such a jerk, and I'm, you know, I'm just I'm being honest. I'm like, why does she have to act like that? And I'm sure she's at work thinking, why does he have to act like that? And so I said, what do I do here? And this is what I felt like Jesus showed me. Now he's notice how I said that. I imagined Jesus talking to me. And he said, when she gets home, tell her you're glad to see her. I'm not doing that, no. Right? So, all right, well, don't listen to me. That's fine. You know, not exactly, but this is kind of the thing going on between me and Jesus. And so I said, all right, fine. You, you are Jesus after all. So Kara gets home. She walks through the door, and she puts her purse down. And she walks past me. She says, how you doing? I said, better now. She turned and looked at me. I said, I'm really glad to see you. And you know what? Guess what happened? <laughs> it was fixed. Everything was fixed. We didn't even talk about what we had been arguing about. It was done. It was a done deal. We were, whoop, bap, everything was good. And all it, now do you see that I'm not talking about him, God telling me to go do this or do that. I'm just talking about something that was clear. This is God's attitude. It's God's personality that when my wife walks through the door that I would say, hey, I'm really glad to see you. Doesn't that, I mean, that sounds like a good God, right? So it's clear to me. Now, if it was something crazy, ridiculous, like buy her a mule or something just stupid, you, you want to think about that stuff, right? But what I'm saying is respond to what is clear. Once you've been hungry, once you've searched through the scriptures, once you've let him change your mind, once you've listened for what is good, then when it's clear, respond. Do what you feel like Jesus... And hear how I'm saying that. Do what you feel like he might be telling you. I'm, I do believe sometimes he talks. And I've got many stories of where, I, man, I knew that I knew God was talking to me. Most of the time, it's just a suspicion. Most of the time, it's just, hey... Maybe God's saying this, so maybe I ought to do something about it. And it really is that simple. I'll close with one last story. Shocker of all shockers, I'm in the shower. And we had decided we were coming to Louisville to plant this church. And what I found was for the first few weeks after we made that decision, during the day, I was pumped. I mean, I was excited. I was excited to meet you guys. I was ready to find this place. I was ready to go do it. But at night, I became terrified. I found out that when I got tired, I started thinking, what if it fails? What if it fails and that damages my reputation and I, I, I can't do what I've always done? What if, you know, what if nobody really wants to listen to me after that because there's nothing more important in my life than be able to talk to people and, and share Jesus with people? What if, what if the whole thing collapses and then I just look like a, a failure? 
What if we get over there and nobody comes to the church? Or what if we come, or what if a bunch of people do come and they're a bunch of whack jobs that, that with all kinds of crazy theology and we just end up splitting in a just terrible mess because this stuff happens with churches. What if I get over there and we run out of money? Well, then we've sold everything. I've taken my wife out of a job that pays well that she loves. And so all this stuff is in my head. And so Jesus and I are hashing it out in the shower. I'm sitting down. The water's coming down. I'm saying, Jesus, I'm scared, man. He says, I want you to sing. I said, what do you want me to sing? He said, I want you to sing, don't worry, be happy. Imaginative experience, people, okay? So I start singing. And he starts singing with me. And we get to the part where we're whistling. And he's whistling as, I mean... The landlord say your rent is late. I mean, we're just going at it, singing this song so loud. And my wife's in the kitchen going, what's going on in there? <laughs> Me and Jesus, we're singing with Bobby McFerrin. Imaginative experience. But guess what happened? All that fear just fell off of me. I made a decision the next day, I will not... Give one more second to fear over this thing. I just won't. And I haven't. Ever since then, I haven't been afraid. Now, was that Jesus in the shower with me telling me to sing a Bobby McFerrin song? I don't know. No, yes, maybe. I don't care. What I know is that I was imagining him. I'm trying to connect with him. And it happened. Freedom came, like the song that we, we did this morning. Freedom came in the presence of Jesus. And the prophet Zephaniah says this, he says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I wasn't familiar with this passage when the whole don't worry, be happy thing happened. But do you see, when I study scripture, this sounds like the same God. It sounds like the same person I'm imagining. So maybe, just maybe, there's more to this than just imagination. Maybe imagination is some way that God gets in there and reveals himself. I, I, there was a slide earlier that said one, two, three, and there's, there's three worlds you can live in. And two is the one you're in right now where you can touch these chairs and drink the water and eat the popcorn. And it's, it's, it's the matrix. It's not the real world. It's the one you can touch, but it's not the real world. Over here is the kingdom of God. It's the real world. And it's extra dimensional. It's outside of time, space, and matter. It's, it's somewhere else. But most people live over here that isn't even in the second realm, that the one you can touch and feel. It's this world of fantasy and imagination. And, and you fantasize all the time and you, you, you play games or you watch movies or you think about things that never could be. So instead of using your imagination to hit the real world, instead you get so far away from that world that you can't even touch this world. You see, you're going to use your imagination. My encouragement to you is use your imagination to touch the hand of God and let him transform you.